0: I was 18 years old and a freshman at the University of Michigan. It was a Friday night, and I was out with friends, and I can't remember exactly uh, where all we were going or what we were doing, but we were sort of hanging out on campus, and I remember it was pretty late, and they were deciding they were going to go on to do uh, another activity, and by that point, I think I was pretty much done, and so I decided I'd just walk home by myself. So I started the walk across campus, and I didn't get very far until I ran into a group of female students uh, who were headed off to another party. And one of the girls in the group I recognized from my dorm. Uh, We talked for just a moment, and she said, are you going back to the dorm? And I said, yeah. She said, would you mind walking me home? Uh, she, too, was sort of done for the evening, but females in that situation did not have the same luxury of simply walking by themselves late at night. And since I was going to the same place she was, uh, we walked together. Now, I didn't know her all that well, but uh, obviously we lived near each other in the dorm, and so as we were walking, I just was making what I thought was sort of casual conversation. I'm sure I was sort of joking around, and suddenly, though, <laughs> without warning. She burst into tears. I mean, she just simply was sobbing. I was completely taken aback i Did I say something like i don 't like what just happened here and i wasn 't sure what to do, and so I just said, uh, "Are you okay and she says i i don't understand she 's like, "I go out at night and I see you at some of the same places that i 'm going to and You're not drinking or doing any of the other things that really college uh, students are supposed to be doing if they want to have fun. And you seem to be having the time of your life. She's like, I'm going and doing all of those things, all of those activities. And she's like, I'm absolutely miserable. It's like, what am I missing? Well, that's a fair question. And it's a fair question not just for 18-year-olds who are college students, It's a good question for you and I today. You see, what my friend was experiencing as we sort of talked it through is what I might describe as living death. She was alive. Yes, she was breathing and her heart was beating, but she was going through life really like a zombie, just going through the motions and the things that she thought was going to make her happy, they were actually making her feel like she was dead, like there was nothing worth living in life. And that feeling of living death is not something that just she experiences, something that we can experience in many different facets of life. For example, perhaps you've been waking up for countless mornings with a sour attitude, unsure why it is that you feel so bitter about things. You may feel that those that you're supposed to love in your life that you just don't actually have any love for them. There's no real emotion in your heart towards them. You feel strained relationships with your spouse perhaps, with your children. You don't seem to understand what's going on in their life and they don't seem to get what you're going through. Nobody seems to be able to see things from your perspective. And you feel the strain of those relationships. Truth be told, you feel disappointed with your life. That the things that you see that you would really like to do to spend quality time with your family, to be engaged with helping those who are less fortunate, to be out enjoying the beauty of God's creation, the things that you know deep down you really want to do, those somehow you just can't make yourself do. But the things that you hate doing, the things that you don't really want to do, Stuff like gossip, and getting drunk, and viewing pornography, and giving in to angry outbursts, spending sprees, and materialism, giving yourself to mindless amusements, and wasting hour after hour, the stuff that you don't really want to be part of your life, that stuff you're regularly engaged in. There's just sort of a constant level of stress, and worse than that, there is fear, Fear of failure and this haunting suspicion that somehow you either are failing at life or have failed. That's living death. You're still alive, your heart is beating, you're going through the motions, you're eating food, you're doing all of the things that should characterize life, but there's no joy, there's no light in your eyes. It's like a zombie just simply going through the motions. This is living death. That's what I'd like to talk to us about this morning. What is the solution when my friend asks me that question? What am I missing? What is the answer to that question? And if you're here this morning experiencing the power of living death, what hope is there for you or for me? Well, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, let me remind you that as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we have been covering basic Christian truths, what we believe about uh, the things that God has told us. And thus far, we've talked first about God, and we've seen that in the Scriptures God is presented as spirit, light, love, and that He eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father. Son and Holy Spirit. We spent time looking at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and saw that he is the fully divine, fully human Savior of the world. We looked at the Holy Spirit and came to understand that he is God's empowering presence with us today and the unbreakable guarantee of an even better tomorrow for those who believe in Jesus. Last week. We spent some time looking at Satan and saw that he is our enemy, and though his power is broken, it has not yet been eliminated. This morning we move on to the next topic that Paul has for us in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Follow along as I read. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you walked when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient all of us lived among them also at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest We were by nature objects of wrath. Notice how Paul starts out his discussion. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. The idea of being dead but still living is what we're talking about, living death. The idea that you would be going through life doing all of the things of life, but not feeling the joy of life, not experiencing true life, to be a dead person walking. That's what my friend from university was experiencing in her life. That's what perhaps many here today are experiencing. It's what the Bible is referring to as living death. And Paul says that that situation... Of living death is connected to the issue of sin so if we're going to talk about how to solve the problem of living death we have to understand first the nature and idea of sin so what is sin Paul uses two words here sins and transgressions the Bible uses a lot more words than just that But the general idea of what is sin is that it is a failure to live up to what God desires for us. It's a failure to live up to the desires that God has for us. Perhaps the best way to explain this is that if you're a parent, if you think about your children... When you look at your children in your mind's eye, you have in your mind's eye a picture of what you want for them. Now, I'm not talking about material success or athletic success or those kinds of things. I'm saying that idea that you want your child to be generous, to be honest, to excel in relationships, to be able to find fruitful work. You want for your child the joy of contentment, of being able to experience the beauty in life and As you dream for your child, these are the things you want for them. Well, so it is with God that when He looks at us, this is what He wants for us. He does not want destruction. He does not want stress and fear and failure. What He longs for us is to enjoy peace and contentment and goodness. He wants us to be kind to our neighbors. These are the things that He wants for us. And sin as God defines it is the failure to live up to the desires that he has for us for example in James chapter 5 James says you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears Of the Lord Almighty God does not want for us the failure to pay fair wages or to be generous he wants us to know the joy of giving to somebody who works for us the pay that they deserve he wants for us to experience that ourselves and when we fail to pay proper wages for example this is sin so is it when we answer harshly another person when we seek revenge these kinds of actions fall short of the picture and desire that God wants for us that's not what he desires for us and it's sin but sin is not only the things that we do or don't do that fall short of God's picture for us it also has to do with the attitudes of our mind and heart and what he wants us to experience In our attitudes, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That would be a sinful action. But Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Even if there are no actions, even if you don't go out and actually commit the act of adultery. Jesus says, but what God wants for you. He does not want your mind to be consumed with lustful thoughts. He does not want people in this world to simply be the object of lustful desires. That it is a sin simply to have an attitude in your heart or in your mind that falls short of the desire of what God wants for us. The same thing is true when we covet our neighbor's possessions. That's not what God longs for us. Just like as a parent, when you look at your child, you don't wish that they would be jealous of their siblings. That's not what you want for them. You want them to experience the joy of contentment. Likewise, when God looks at us and we have an attitude of self-hating, of low self-esteem where we view ourselves as being worthless and in the attitude of our mind and heart, we think of ourselves as being of no value. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what He longs for us to have. But that attitude itself, then, is sin. Sin is not only the actions that we commit, it's also the attitudes of our mind and heart that fall short of what God wants for us. And really, it's not even just the actions and the attitudes. It's also a state of being. That we as humans, in many ways, our character and our nature... Are oriented away from God after all if you've ever seen a little child learn to be selfish you realize that nobody had to teach them it somehow is inherent within them that doesn't change that if I'm honest when I look at myself I see that same orientation in myself of selfishness that as I go throughout my day I'm the one who I'm most interested in I'm the protagonist of my own story And that everything that I do is bent towards what's in my best interest—that is sin. That sort of orientation towards myself. And so the Bible defines sin as being the failure to live up to what God desires for us in actions, in attitudes, and even in our character or our nature. That's sin. Now the question is, what causes us to sin or what causes us to experience actions or attitudes or a orientation that is away from God? Paul gives us three things that induce us into a position of sin. The first is in verse number two. We were dead when we followed the ways of this world the environment, the world around us, the situation in which we find ourselves. This can be a means by which we are induced into sinful behaviors or attitudes or actions. For example, last February, somebody gave us an iPad. It was great, a wonderful present. And you know what, for the first time, I think in our married life, Lisa and I felt like we were on the cutting edge of technology that we were like, hey, look, it's an Apple iPad. We have an Apple iPad. Of course, in March, the iPad 2 came out. And all of the advertising and all of the marketing was designed to make you feel like if you have the iPad 1, well, you're missing out. That there's something greater and something better out there and what you have is not good enough anymore. And simply the environment, the world, and the marketing in which we live can create within us Feelings of jealousy and materialism and a lack of contentment. That's not what God wants for us. The sin is caused simply by the world in which we live. That as we see this marketing and as we experience this, that it can create within us attitudes or actions that fall short of what God wants for us. Paul says, not only from the world in which we live are we induced to sin. In verse number two, he also says, what we talked about last week, that the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which we identified as being Satan and the forces of darkness, that one of the things that they do is encourage us in attitudes and in actions and in character to be less than what God wants for us. The third way in which sin comes into our lives is in verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature following its desires and thoughts that even if there was no world around us even if Satan didn't exist that you and I have within us desires and cravings which lead us away from God you know it's amazing to me I can be by myself with nobody else around anywhere no internet, no television, no other person, simply by myself. And I find my mind wandering off into attitudes and thoughts that are not what God wants for me. That's the power of our own desires to lead us to a place of sin. Paul says sin is not only a failure to live up to what God desires for us in attitudes and in actions, and in character. It's something that we are induced into by the world in which we live, by the forces of evil that are present, and by our own selves. And he say, well, wait a second. If that's true, who can ever escape from the power of sin? If it's that prevalent, if it's that easy to do, if it is that constantly with us, How can we ever escape? Paul says, well, nobody actually ever escapes from the power of sin. Look in verse 3. He says, all of us lived one time like this. We all experienced living death. See, Paul's not just talking about his readers. He's not just talking about you and I. He says, me too, everybody. That's why he says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is universal. Every person in this room, every person who's ever lived in this world has experienced the power of sin Because in our attitudes, in our actions, in our character, we regularly fall short of what God desires for us. It's in the world. It's in the evil one. It's even in our own selves that we are easily and quickly led astray. The problem is, is that Paul says, that's what leads to living death. This is the result of sin. Living death death. Think about it this way. If you think of God as the giver of life, think of him sort of like a bonfire on a cold November evening. As you stand in front of the bonfire, you feel the warmth of life. But if you turn and move away, what do you experience but cold this is what it's like. Sin is a moving away from what God wants for us, a moving away from who it is He wants us to be. When we do that, the result is not the warmth of life anymore, but the coldness of death. That's living death. This is what my friend at the University of Michigan was experiencing living death. The things that she thought would bring her happiness, the drinking, the, the sexual relationships, the partying, the things that she had been told by the world and by her own desires and by the evil one that this would satisfy her. It was actually the thing that was killing her. And she was simply walking through life as a dead person, far away from the heat and the warmth of God. Sin results in living death. I said at the beginning I was going to give you the solution. (laughs) What hope is there if you find yourself in a position of living death? If you find yourself in that zombie-like state, the light has gone out of your eyes, what hope is there? Well, the problem is that if it's living death, there's probably not much you can do. (laughs) Because if you're dead, dead people don't do a lot of activities. And if you've ever been in a state of living death, and I've been in that state you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing you can do. You can't pick yourself up. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't just simply import a better work ethic or a better way of life and somehow change all of that. It doesn't work. Soon you find yourself back in a state of death again. And that's because a dead person can't do anything to help themselves. So does that mean there is no hope? It does not. Because Paul does not end his statement in verse 3, but goes on in verses 4 and 5. And here we see the antidote to the power of sin. He says in verse 4 But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Even when we were experiencing living death, God, because He's so loving and He's so kind, chose to make us alive. How did He do it? It is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is what rescues us from the state of living death because grace is the antidote to sin now I could define that for you but I'd rather illustrate it and I'd like to do so using a story that Jesus used to illustrate this very point Jesus told a story about a man who had two sons the younger of the two sons said to his father father give me my share of the estate so the man divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had And set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's what my friend at the university was experiencing. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. Remember, this is the son of a wealthy man. So he got up and went to his father. What this boy is experiencing is living death. Yes, the wild living looked like it was going to provide him with the joy and happiness of life, but what he found when he got there was loneliness and humiliation and hunger. This is living death. He's just simply existing in a state of going through the motions, feeding the pigs, wanting to eat the slop that they're eating. And one day he comes to his senses and says, this is not what life is supposed to be. And in the midst of his living death, he comes to his father. And as the story continues, we see where Ephesians 2, verse 4 starts, the same word, but. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Remember what our text said, that God, because of his great mercy and love, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. This was not what he desired for his son. He didn't want his son feeding pigs, starving to death in a loneliness in an abandoned state. And so he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And here is now grace. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found this is the picture of grace god's merciful willingness to simply embrace us despite our sin despite the fact that we have fallen short of what he wants for us despite the fact that in our actions in our attitudes even in the way our character and nature is it's opposite of what god wants for us when we come to him and say father i'm in living death have mercy on me That God does not demand that the Son do anything, that He earn anything. There's no trial, period. There's nothing except the embrace of a loving Father. That's grace. God's willingness in His love to simply embrace us despite our sin. And next week we're going to talk about what God does in Christ to make that possible. But what i want you to understand this week is that it's grace grace is the antidote to the problem of sin and so when my friend asked me that question back on that night at the university of michigan all those years ago what is it that i'm missing this is the answer the answer is is it's not more partying it's not more trying to be a better person it's not more making more resolutions It's simply coming to God and saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and receiving from God grace, forgiveness, acceptance, love, the embrace of a merciful God. And she experienced that. It was probably three months after we had that first conversation as God began to work on her and to tell her and communicate to her that he did love her. That despite all the things that she had done, despite the way that she was thinking, despite even the way her very being was oriented away from him, that he still loved her. And she accepted the grace of God. And it transformed her. And for the last 20 years, she has given her life in full-time ministry, sharing the message of grace to other people. This is what overcomes living death. That that woman that I knew 20 years ago, there was no light in her eyes. She was simply miserable walking through the stages of death. That in the grace of God, the embrace of her, she was made alive. And this is what God offers to us today. So what are we to do with this truth? If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not accepted Christ What God is saying is is that you are going to continue to experience some form of living death. Yes, the boy in the story had some great joy while he was experiencing wild living, but that will soon fade. And when it fades, what it's replaced with is this hollow feeling, this stress, this fear, this overwhelming sense that life has passed you by and you're simply not living anymore. The antidote to it is to come to God and to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the promise of God is is that when you come to him in that way, he will in no way reject you or turn you aside. But because of his great love, he will embrace you and give you grace, erasing all of the sin and giving you new life. If you've not made that decision, now is the time. But what if you're here and you are a believer in Jesus? What if you're here and you say, but wait a second. I have come to understand who Jesus is, yet I have myself experienced living death. That when you described that at the beginning of the sermon, I resonated with that. In fact, some of you here may be going through that right now. The reason is, is because living death is always the consequence for sin, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. It doesn't affect your eternal destiny, but you still experience the power of living death today. And for those who are believers in Jesus but engaged in a materialistic lifestyle or oriented towards the kinds of relationships outside of the marriage relationship that God does not want you to have, for those who are uh, neglecting their husband and their children, for those who are regularly engaged in the practice of gossip, for those who are allowing themselves to believe the lies of this world, that you're not worth anything, that you're not valuable to anybody, if you exist in that state, you will experience again living death I know what it's like as a Christian to be in a state of living death the antidote for you is the same it's still grace it's to acknowledge that in that state that in your attitudes in your actions even in your very character that we fall short of what it is that God wants us to be. And that we come to God and say, Father, we have sinned against heaven and against you. And receive from him grace. Grace is the solution. That as we engage in the power of sin, we will experience living death. But as we turn to a gracious and loving God who forgives our sins, we experience life. Sin is the failure To live up to what God desires for us in actions, attitudes, and character. It is induced within us by the world in which we live, by the forces of darkness that are our enemies, and by our very selves. The result of sin is always living death. But the grace of God overcomes. Let's pray together. Father, I know that there are some here this morning who are experiencing living death. For those that are experiencing it because they have not yet accepted what you have done for them in Christ, I pray that you would open their eyes and let them see. I pray that they would see that you are a loving and kind Father who wants so much more for them than even they want for themselves. God, I pray that the eyes of their hearts might be open, that you would show them the truth, that they would no longer believe the lies of this world. Father, for those who are here who are believers in Jesus, but are experiencing as well living death, God, help their eyes to be opened. Allow us to see that it's the sin in our lives. It's the attitudes that we're allowing ourselves to engage in the actions that we are embracing that's contributing to the state of living death. And God, would you help us to come to you to find grace and mercy that we might be made alive again. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.